All right, so uh, yeah, we're starting this new series and we're gonna be looking at 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter one, verses eight through 11. And uh, here's what God's word says from that passage. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would give us insight and wisdom into your word, that you would give us what we need to hear and understand, and not just understand, but to put into practice what we hear. Lord, in order to do that, we need you so Holy Spirit, work within each one of us, believer or non-believer alike, a person who has been in the faith for a long time or someone who has just believed. Lord, work in all of us to produce what you want, that we really would live in accordance with the good news of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray this. Amen. So in a place called Straw, Italy, it's home to what is considered to be one of the most difficult mazes in the world. Here's an image of it. It's called, uh, or maybe it's an image of it. Let me start over. So yeah, Straw, Italy, it's home to what is considered one of the most difficult mazes in the world. It's called Labyrintho Villa Pisani. I hope I did not murder that. Now here's an image, and you can see some people trying to wander through this maze, and it doesn't look that complicated, but legend has it that Napoleon got lost in this maze, and that both Hitler and Mussolini came to this maze and were too chicken to go in because they were afraid they were going to get lost. I don't know if any of that is true, but that's what the legend how the legend goes. All right, so life is a lot like a maze. Like this maze that people try to get out of. It, it's a lot like that. It's bewildering and befuddling. It's complex and convoluted. It's disorienting and discombobulating. Life can feel like a meandering, muddled, mystifying morass. Yes, I did look into the thesaurus this week. And that goes double for life in this confusing culture in which we find ourselves today. Uh, in the last several decades, we have been confronted by a whole host of perplexing, puzzling problems. Political issues, check. Relational issues, check issues, 
check. Issues of justice, issues about social justice, issues about racial relations, issues about the very structures of our society, issues about sexuality, issues about gender, issues about marriage, issues about mental health, issues about life, issues about death, issue about our rights, issues about technology, issues about long-held beliefs that have been upended, issues about fake news, issues about conspiracy theories, issues about what is true, issues about how we know what is true, issues about having issues. If there's one thing we seem to know for certain as a society, it's that we have issues. And if we're honest, we need help. Making it through this labyrinth of life. We need help navigating our confusing culture. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Yeah, we all need it. And so that's what this series is going to be. We're going to talk about some of the tools that we can use to try to navigate a confusing culture, to try to make it through this labyrinth or maze that we call life. And so here's the big point for today. Life can be confusing. The good news of Jesus helps us navigate the confusion. Right? Life can be confusing, but the good news of Jesus can help us to navigate the confusion. And we're going to see that primarily from this text in 1 Timothy chapter 1. So let's take a look at it verse by verse for just a moment. Paul's writing this near the end of his life, and he says to Timothy, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. That, in a, that sentence in itself, that phrase, is a sermon in itself. And we could spend a lot of time talking about that, but I'm just going to focus mainly on the main point that he says next. But focus on this. The law, is, the law of God is good. His commands are good. But they can be used in a way that is not good. All right? Now, let's look at the next thing he says. Verse 9. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, not for the righteous, not for good people, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and the profane. God gave commands because we need to hear them because we are people who break the law. We're the people who break commands. You don't need laws about something you're already doing. No one has ever written a law in any um, uh, codified law that I know of that says you should breathe. Right? Because we do that naturally. We don't need a law telling us to breathe because we already do it. But there are all kinds of things that we hear these laws because we are prone to do those things. One of the examples that I find is really helpful, even though it's not that big of a deal in one way, 
you know, you ever go one of those public places and they've got this nice lawn of grass and on the lawn it has this sign that says, keep off the grass. What's the first thing that you think of when you first see that sign? If you're like me, the first thing I think of is, I want to get on the grass. Now, if I had just walked by that lawn and there was no sign, I probably wouldn't even have thought about it. But because that sign is there, I really want to walk on that grass, whether I do or not. God knows what we're like, and he gives us these laws, he gives us these commands to help us see that we are the lawless and disobedient that we are the ungodly and the sinners, that we are the unholy and the profane. We're not the just people in and of ourselves. We're not good people in and of ourselves. We are sinners. And the law helps us to see that. And then in verse 9 and following, he, he goes, he explains a little bit of what he's talking about. He says, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers. This is just an example of what he's given. And I want you to notice, if you look through these, they sort of line up with the last part of the Ten Commandments. Right? Honor your father and your mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. All those things kind of line up. And then in verse, the, the next part of verse 10 and verse 11, and he says, and whatever else. Yeah, this is just an example. These are examples of what is, uh, God has given commands against. But then he says, verse 10, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. In other words, the teaching that we have that is in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Again, that last phrase is worth a sermon in and of itself, but I just want to focus on this one part that says, in accordance with the gospel. The word gospel means good news. Whenever we think of laws and commands... We don't typically think of good news, do we? But sometimes you need to hear the bad news in order to understand the good news. And that's part of what the law does. The law shows us how we don't measure up. The law shows us that we have not got it all together. The law shows us that we've got problems and issues. And then the law hopefully pushes us toward outside of ourselves to say, I need someone to help me. I need someone to get me out of this mess. And that person is Jesus. Because the gospel, the good news of the glory of the blessed God is about Jesus. Jesus is the glory of the blessed God. Jesus is the one who will, who will save us. And that's what I want us to understand, if we're going to try to line up things in, in accordance with the gospel, we need to understand this, that simply put, the good news is that Jesus saves sinners 
from sin. What Paul is saying in that passage is that if you're wondering, is this a right decision or a wrong decision? Is this good or bad? Is this true or false? You start with, is it in line with the good news of Jesus? And if it's not, it's automatically off the table for those of us who believe in Christ. Automatically. Is it in line with the good news? And the good news is that Jesus saves sinners from sin. In the same passage, we didn't read it. We, we read it earlier in the service, but we didn't read it in the sermon part. 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. That was his goal. Jesus came into this world to save, to rescue people who have sinned. And what is he saving them from? What is he rescuing them from? I love this verse from Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. It has been a go-to verse for me over and over and over again when I am struggling with my own sin. Matthew 1.21, the angel is saying to Joseph about Mary, she will bear a son and you shall give his, call his name Jesus, Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus saves us from. People sometimes think, well, Jesus saves you from hell. Sure, but Jesus mainly saves you from your sin. Jesus saves us from the wrath of God, people might say. And there's some truth in that too. But the truth is that Jesus saves you from your sins. Not just the penalty of your sins, but the power of your sin. And not just the penalty and the power of your sin, but even the presence of your sin. Jesus will eventually remove all remnants of sin in those who believe. That is really good news. That Jesus doesn't just want you to be forgiven. He wants you to be a different person. And so when Paul says that all these things are in accordance, they line up with, they conform to the gospel of the glory of the blessed, of blessed God, what he's saying is if it lines up with the fact that Jesus saves sinners from sin You've got something there. You've got something that you can walk on. You've got a foundation that is secure that you can say, I may not know what is going on in the world around me, but I do know this. Jesus came to save sinners like me. And if I can focus on that part, I've got something to help me navigate through this mess we call life. Because you see, the good news of Jesus promotes beliefs and behaviors that are good for us. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Sometimes people think about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, as you get your fire insurance. Or you get to go to heaven one day when you die. And that's all they think about. But the gospel is so much better than that. It's so much bigger than that. It's so much more beautiful than that. The good news of Jesus not only shows us that we're saved from our sin, but it promotes beliefs and behaviors that are good for us. You know how I see that? I see that right here in this passage. Verse 10. 
whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. That phrase, sound doctrine. You might think that the word sound means true. And it is true. But that's not really what sound means in this context. I'm getting a little greeky on you, okay? And I won't, I won't go too far in, down this rabbit hole. But if you look at the Greek New Testament, which is, this is originally written in Greek, the word that Paul uses there is the same word from which we get the word hygienic. Do you know what hygienic means? It has to do with your health, being healthy, something that is good for you. That's what is meant by sound doctrine. It's not just that it's true, it's good for you. Like vegetables, like Brussels sprouts. But it's much better than that because it tastes better. Because it's the good news of Jesus. And it's just something that makes you go, that's wonderful. Because not only has he forgiven me of my sins, he's taken all of my sin upon himself at the cross. He bore the wrath reserved for me that we talked about today in one of the songs we sang. He has given us life because he died and rose from the dead so that we would have abundant life, life that will never end, life that is of the age to come and where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more death, no more anything that is awful and bad because God has made all things new. And that is part of the good news that Jesus has done that for sinners who don't deserve it. Me, you, everyone you know, we're all in the same boat. We all have fallen short of the glory of God and yet God has given us the gift, the free gift of eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we think about this good news of the gospel, this good news of Jesus, the good news of the glory of the blessed God, then we also have to see that if things are contrary to that healthy doctrine, that healthy truth, that healthy belief system, that's something we want to avoid. I mean, think about it. God designed you. He made you in his image to be a reflection of his character, of his goodness. And every one of us have taken that image and we've distorted it. Just like when you walk through one of those hall of mirrors and you've got one of those mirrors that, that makes you look fat or thin or whatever else. It may make you look really tall, elongated. It, it's distorted somehow. There's still the image there, but it's a distorted image. It doesn't look exactly like you. And that's what we are. We are that distorted mirror image of God. We do not show what God is really like because we sin. And so Jesus comes and he lives this perfect life. 
This perfect life of real obedience. This perfect life where he obeys all of the commands of God perfectly. And then he dies in our place and rises from the dead. And he says, here, here's my life. It's yours. This is credited to you. All of my obedience, all of my right living, all of who I am is yours now. For those who believe. We have it all. In Jesus. And so by the Holy Spirit, we are called to walk in that truth, to walk in that sound doctrine, to walk in that healthy truth. Because it's good for us, because God designed us to be a certain way, and we end up going against that. Sin is always going against the way God designed us to be. And so when we turn around from our sin and we follow Jesus, he is working in us to make us more and more of his image the way we're supposed to be. That's part of what the good news is about. Because think about it. All these things that that Paul mentions in this passage. Murder, for example. Murder is not good for you. Okay, not only if you're the one being murdered, that's obvious. But when you murder someone, what happens? Something inside you has died. And you have robbed people of a loved one. And so your sin in murdering has not only hurt other people, it will hurt you. And in our society, you'll be thrown into jail. Or perhaps face the, the life pen, the penalty of death, right? Committing sexual sin is not good for us. There are all kinds of issues that come with that, relational issues. When we mate with someone, we are connecting with them in a special way. And so if we have more than one partner, we've got connection going with more than one person, which is not the way God designed it to be. And that lives on with us. We feel it. God designed us to be with one person for the rest of our lives. A man and a woman. Together. And when we go outside of that, there's going to be problems. My wife is a doctor. And so every time this subject comes up, she wants to show my children pictures of STDs. I think to scare them into, oh, goodness. But that's another one of those things that when you have sex with someone who has also had sex with someone else, STDs are part of the problem that comes from sin. And and you just keep multiplying problem after problem after problem. When When we go against the way God designed us to be, there's always going to be pushback on us. It's always going to fall back on us in some way. Like C.S. Lewis once said, we don't break God's laws, we break ourselves on his laws. 
Every time we disobey God's commands, we're breaking something within us. And this is why one of my favorite passages that we repeat here at this church over and over and over again, because I want to get it in our system. Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. This is the gospel. This is the good news. For the grace of God, God's grace to sinners has appeared and it brings salvation for all people, saves us from our sin, not just the penalty, but all of it, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age while we wait for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. How is it that the grace of God trains us we think about the gospel. We think about the good news of Jesus. And it trains us in how to live. So, as an action point, when you're facing confusing issues, apply the truth about Jesus. Apply the truth about Jesus. Jesus died and rose from the dead to save me from my sin, to save people all around the world from their sin. So, if I have a choice before me, options before me, I need to ask, which one of these conforms to the gospel more? Which one of these is in line with Jesus coming to save me from my sin? Let me give you an example an example, an example from, actually from the book of Galatians. Let me give you the setup for this. So Paul the Apostle, he, um, he didn't really know Peter all that well. Peter was also an apostle, but they didn't really know each other all that well. But one day, Paul is hanging out with Peter and some Gentiles and some Jews. Now, before Paul had arrived, I'm sorry, before, before, for a while there, Peter was hanging out with the Gentiles. Now, Peter was a Jew, and he's hanging out with these Gentiles who were believers. He was eating with them. You know, he was, you know, talking with them. He was spending time with them. But then, when some more Jews showed up, he pulled away from the Gentiles. And he just started hanging out with the Jews, started eating with the Jews. Paul noticed this, and he confronted Peter to his face. And here's what he said. Galatians chapter 2, verse 14. Here's what, here's what was said. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Do you see that? Paul saw that Peter, Peter the apostle, the one who knew Jesus personally, 
the one who was sent out to proclaim the good news, his actions were not actually in line with the truth of the gospel. They weren't in step with the truth of the gospel. They didn't, they didn't line up. They weren't according with the truth of the gospel because what Peter was doing was not showing love. He was not showing care. He was thinking only about his reputation and how people were going to see him and not treating people the way they should be treated. And Paul was like, that is out of line with the good news of Jesus. The Jesus who came to die and rise from the dead for both Jew and Gentile. And if Jesus died for both Jew and Gentile, look, you can't treat one better than the other. That's just not the way it works. You can't ignore one while showing favor to the other. That's not the way this works. That's not love. That's not the way of Jesus. So you're not in line with the gospel, Peter. If you're thinking, I still don't understand how this all works, here, here's a very simplistic but not easy thing to do. Whenever you're, faced with a, with, whenever you're faced with a decision and you've got more than one option and you're trying to figure out, what do I do? At least start with this. Jesus came to save me, a sinner, from my sins. Is one of those options before you sin? If it is, don't do it. Because Jesus came to save you from that. Do you hear me? I mean, that is very simplistic, but it's just truth. You say, Jesus came to save me from the sin. Should I do A or should I do B? If A is sin, run from that. Don't do it. And if you're still tempted to do it, say, Jesus, please help me. I don't want to do that. Change me from the inside out so that I will say no to ungodliness and say yes to what is right. Again, very simplistic. Hard to put into practice. But it shows what living in light of the gospel, trying to be in accord with the gospel, lining up with the truth of Jesus looks like. The next time you have one of those issues, should I do this or should I do that? Start there. Is this a gospel issue? Is there sin involved? If so, Jesus came to save me from my sin, so why would I do sin? I need to count myself dead to that and alive to God in Jesus. So, in navigating the confusion of this life, let's navigate it. Let's navigate the confusion of life by staying in step with the good news of Jesus. And let me pray for us that we'll be able to do that. Jesus, thank you that you came to save sinners, to rescue us from our sin. And not just the penalty of the sin, but even the power over us, the practice of that sin, and one day even the presence of sin. as we're trying to make decisions in a really difficult and confusing world, cause us by your spirit to line up with the truth 
the truth of the gospel, the good news that you came to save us from our sin. And even as we come to your table today and realize just what you gave up for us so that we would have such blessing, work in each one of us that we would rejoice, that we would believe, and that we would trust you. Jesus, we pray all this in your name. Amen.